Hello, my name is Caitlin. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you're joining us here in the building and for all of those of you online. I'm so excited for all that God has for us this morning. When I was nine years old, my family made a decision that dramatically impacted my life. We were currently living in Guelph, Ontario, and I loved my life there. We had a great neighborhood that was like awesome. We had a good house, and a bunch of the kids in our neighborhood were my age, and so I had a bunch of friends that lived close by. Our extended family lived close by, so we got to see each other a lot. And we had this really great church that we were a part of. We were super invested in as an entire family. And so things were like really good. But one day my parents brought us all into the living room and let me and my brothers know the news. We would be moving to a town way up north called Thunder Bay. And in a few months, three months, we would pack up our entire lives and we would head up north. So my brothers heard this and they were excited. They were like, yes, a new adventure. We're going into the woods. It's gonna be great. I had a different reaction. I immediately broke down sobbing and was so upset. I was put in this place of real despair and I didn't leave it for a while. There was a lot of months that were really hard because I was just overwhelmed with the loss. I was gonna lose my friends. We were gonna move away from family. We knew nobody here, no friends, no family, no one. And we were gonna move to this unknown place. My parents told me, you know, this is, we believe this is God's plan. We believe that he's leading us here. But for me, I just couldn't understand why God would be leading me to a place that required me to give up so much. Or that God would be leading me to a place that would would cause so much loss. My parents were so sure that this was God's plan, and I just didn't feel that way. Right now, we're in a series called Journey to the Cross, and we're looking at Jesus last week and his moments leading up to the cross, and each moment we look at, we we move deeper and, and darker, closer to the cross, but what we know is true is that we're moving closer towards Jesus' victory, his ultimate plan for the world to establish his kingdom here on earth. Today, we're gonna look at another moment in Jesus' last day. And this is a moment that takes place right after the Last Supper with his disciples and right before he's about to be arrested. And in this moment, we see Jesus in this place of darkness, this place of despair. But even in this, Jesus can teach us what it means to be obedient, especially when it's costly. So right now, let's read from Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here, keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. And now, Lord, as we gather together as a community to hear from you, to learn, to worship together, God, would you speak? Would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts to whatever it is you have for us today? Would you come, Lord? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in this passage, we see Jesus in journeying up to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was located on the Mount of Olives, this mountain overlooking Jerusalem. It's the same mountain that Jesus victoriously, triumphantly came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It's the same mountain that we find him on today in one of his deepest, darkest moments. We'd see Jesus' humanity as he's overcome with despair. He's physically mentally, emotionally broken by this deep grief and sorrow. People have debated, what is Jesus so distraught about? Is it that Jesus knows that his disciples are about to experience incredible temptation and hurts, and this is going to be one of their darkest moments for them and and for the world? And so his heart is breaking for them. Is it that Jesus knows the own, his own pain and, and shame and torture of the cross that he's about to face? And so that is breaking him as he's, he's realizing that this moment is coming. Is it that Jesus knows that in a moment he is going to take on all of God's wrath and judgment and hatred of sin and death? Jesus is going to take that on himself. And so he's overcome with sorrow about this. I think it's likely all of these things. Jesus is looking ahead, recognizing the cost of what obedience will take. And he's overcome with this sorrow. But yet, even in this moment, Jesus remains faithful. He remains obedient to the will of God, even though it's incredibly costly. And that act of obedience is what bought us the freedom, the victory, the forgiveness in which we now stand. In our lives, too, we face moments of despair, of darkness, of really challenging times. You know, maybe it's, it's a loss. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one or a big change in your life. Maybe it's a temptation that, you know, you are trying your best to work through it, but it just keeps coming back again and again. Maybe it's that you've reached a point in your faith where following Jesus feels costly. Maybe you're watching someone you love walk through one of their hardest times. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane has something to teach us in our deepest moments of need, of despair, of hurt. So today we're going to look at how Jesus wrestles Jesus prays, and Jesus submits. We're going to look at how these three things lead us into greater obedience and submission to God. But before we jump in, I just want to acknowledge obedience and submission, 
those are not like attractive or fun words. You know, we're not like, ooh, I can't wait for a message on obedience or a message on submission. And so I get that. I get that this is not going to be necessarily an easy thing. But it is important because what we see in Jesus' story is that his obedience in the garden leads to the victory of the cross. And in our lives too, our obedience leads to freedom and victory. And so if you're feeling some of that discomfort, that's okay. You're not alone in that. But I want to challenge you, if you're feeling that right now, to just ask God, what do you have for me in this? What are you trying to say for me in this? And together, let's learn Let's learn together. So let's start with this. Let's start with Jesus wrestles. So Jesus has hiked up to the Mount of Olives with his disciples. He leads James and Peter and John, his three closest disciples, a little bit further. And it's with them that he, he makes this confession, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. We see Jesus in this deep place of need, of despair, and it's in that state that he walks just a little bit further and he prays this prayer. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. In other words, Jesus is saying, if there is any other way, if there is any other way, I want that way. And yet... And yet, his desire is still to do the will of the Father. Up until this moment, you know, Jesus has been teaching and talking about his death. He knows it's coming. It's not a surprise. So why does Jesus pray this prayer? Jesus, in his humanity, is wrestling He's wrestling with being obedient to God. He doesn't sin. He doesn't lose faithfulness. But Jesus in this moment isn't excited about the the pain he's about to experience. He's not excited about what's to come. And so he himself, Jesus himself, both fully God and fully man, wrestled with obeying the will of God. I recently read this book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer, and it really impacted me. But one of the things that kept coming back to my mind again and again was this idea he talked about called conflicting desires. He says it like this, our deepest desires are not actually our strongest desires. Our deepest desires are not actually our strongest desires. Here's what this might look like. My deepest desire is to honor God with my body take care of it, to be healthy, but my strongest desire is to eat a bag of chips. In the first service, that actually got a round of applause for some reason, so I don't know if there's any chip lovers out there. You could say, my deepest desire is to be present with my family, but my strongest desire is when I get home from a long day of school or work, I just want to put on the TV and check out. My deepest desire is to mend that broken relationship in my life, but the strongest desire is to just be right. My deepest desire is to be obedient to the will of God, but my strongest desire is to do things my way. We often have these conflicting desires. The person that we want to be, the things that we want to do, 
And then what's easiest, what's more comfortable, what's more pleasurable, our deepest and our strongest desires. In this moment with Jesus in the garden, I think what we're seeing is Jesus wrestling through his conflicting desires. It's pretty clear that Jesus' desire is to die for the sins of the world, is to bring God's kingdom here, is to be obedient to the Father. And yet there's this strong desire to not have to suffer. If it's possible, take this from me. Jesus is wrestling through these conflicting desires of life and death. On one hand, he wants to die for the sins of the world. And on the other hand, he has this strong desire to live. What this means for us is that if you're wrestling, it's okay. It's okay to wrestle between what's best and what's easiest. It's okay to wrestle between my way and God's way. You're human, and the Savior of the world and his humanity wrestled too. He didn't give in to the temptation as we so often do, but he still wrestled. And so if you are wrestling with obedience to God, if you're wrestling with conflicting desires about the person that you want to be and the person, the choices that you often make, you're not alone. Your wrestling is not necessarily disobedience, but it's this invitation into obedience. So keep wrestling. We not only see Jesus wrestling with this conflicting desires, we see him wrestling with uncertainty and doubt. So Jesus wasn't just sorrowful, he was troubled. And that word troubled is often also translated as confused or puzzled. Over his entire life, Jesus has been leading up to this moment, teaching, talking about his death, talking about God's kingdom and what that's gonna cost. Prophets hundreds of years ahead of him were prophesying his life and his death. Jesus has seen God. He's heard the audible voice of God. Jesus has performed countless miracles of anyone who has ever walked the face of the earth. If anyone was gonna have 100% certainty, it would be Jesus. And yet Jesus prays, if it's possible, if there's any other way. Jesus, in Gethsemane, wrestled with uncertainty. He wrestled with doubt. It's almost as if he's saying, are you sure, God? Are you sure this is what I need to do? When I moved here to Thunder Bay, I wrestled with a lot of doubt and uncertainty, and, and I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if this was God's plan for our family, but my parents seemed really sure. I was talking to my dad this week as I was letting him know I was gonna share the story of us moving, and, and I asked him, I said, did you, you know, did you ever question? Were you, like, unsure? And he said, oh yeah, like, the house was sold, the van was packed, we were on our way, and he was still asking, God, are you sure about this? Because I'll pull the plug. We'll turn this man around. Faith, following Jesus, becoming obedient, it doesn't remove us from uncertainty or doubt. Often I think we have this view in church 
that you know, we make a decision to follow Jesus and then we should just be able to keep going without faltering or wavering for the rest of our lives. And if we have these like uncertainties or if we have these doubts that there's something wrong. But what we see with Jesus in the garden is even Jesus wasn't 100% certain about God's plan. Even Jesus wrestled with uncertainty. He wrestled with doubt. It's part of the process of becoming obedient. If you are wrestling with doubts, with uncertainty, with conflicting desires, you are in good company because the Savior of the world walked that same path. And in Jesus, one of his darkest moments, he wrestles, and God meets him in that place. And I believe God will meet you, he'll meet me in our wrestling too. So keep going, keep wrestling. This brings us to our second point, Jesus prays. One of the central pieces of this garden moment is prayer. It's actually often referred to as the garden prayer. And in this story, we see Jesus pray three times. And something subtle and profound happens in those three prayers. Prayer becomes this bridge between Jesus wrestling and Jesus' submission or his obedience. When we're in a place of despair, when we're in a place of challenge, prayer is one of the most important things that we can do. And I want to just say, sometimes we can use prayer as like this band-aid or this, this fix-all. And so we need to be careful when we're, we're talking about people's darkest moments and their hardest places about how we talk about prayer. Because sometimes we might have this like tendency to say, you know, oh, you're having a hard time. Have you prayed about it? And even though that's well-meaning, what it can communicate to someone who's in a really dark place is, if I pray, it should just fix it. But if it doesn't get fixed, then not only is that person in this place of despair, but they're also feeling like it's their fault. And that's not true, and that's not what we see in Jesus' story. But at the same point, what we see is that prayer is crucial for us when we're in those dark places, when we need Jesus because prayer serves a couple purposes as we see in this story of the garden. The first is that prayer is about connection. When Jesus goes up to the Mount of Olives, he brings his disciples with him and he brings his three disciples just a little bit closer. And he tells them these words, stay here and keep watch with me. In other words, like be here with me in this. Jesus doesn't want to be alone. He needs people. He needs connection in this moment. And then Jesus goes a little farther and he, he begins to pray. And the power of this prayer is not in the exact words he says. It's not in his physical posture or the way he prays necessarily. It's not even in the, the results because nothing changes. His circumstances stay the same throughout the prayer. Jesus still ends up dying. But the power of this prayer is that Jesus brings all of himself before God. He doesn't hide. He doesn't hide his doubt from God. He doesn't hide his misery. He doesn't hide his uncertainty or his doubt. He doesn't hide his sorrow. He doesn't hide his fear. Jesus brings all of himself before God with those words, if it's possible, take this from me. 
Jesus demonstrates in this moment a beautiful way that we can pray. Especially when we're in those moments of darkness, those moments of despair, those moments of grief. Honestly, vulnerably coming before the Father with all that we are, messy, broken, sorrowful, angry, afraid, in need. It's not easy to be vulnerable before God. But this is a place that we find the connection and the intimacy that we most need. For some of us today, we might not be in one of those dark seasons. It might be a really exciting and, you know, beautiful time in our life, and that's great. But we also can take cues from this story and recognize that when people around us that we love and that we care about are walking through those times of need, we get to be with them in that. Jesus says to his disciples, stay here, keep watch with me. And so who might be that person in your life that you need to stay here, keep watch? Maybe that looks like praying for them continually. Maybe that looks like just being with them, not trying to fix, not trying to mend, just being with them in their moments of pain. Whether we're standing with someone or we ourselves are journeying through that dark place, God invites us to come closer, to bring all that we are to him. And prayer is the way that we can do that. Even in our darkest and hardest moments, we don't have to be alone. Jesus also teaches that prayer is a tool against temptation. After Jesus comes back from praying the first time, he comes back to find his disciples asleep, and he says this to them in verse 40. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So I know that this is like an intense moment, but I kind of find what Jesus says just a little bit funny. He comes back to find all of his disciples and he says, Peter, why are you asleep? It reminds me of me and my brothers getting in trouble and just one of us getting called out. We're always like, excuse me. We were all doing it. But there is a reason for this. See, Jesus knows the temptation that all of his disciples are about to face, the temptation to walk away, the temptation to give into fear, the temptation to give up everything that Jesus has taught them, their whole way of life. And just moments before this, Peter and Jesus have this conversation where Jesus tells him, Peter, you're gonna deny me. You're gonna give into that temptation and deny me. And Peter is insulted. How could you say that? I would, I would never, I would die for you. We're gonna talk about this more next week, but in a few moments, Peter will give in to that temptation and he will deny Jesus. And isn't it interesting that in the garden, Peter falls asleep three times and in a few moments, he falls into the temptation to deny Jesus three times. Jesus teaches us that prayer is the best defense against temptation. In our humanness, we're not strong enough to do it on our own. We need God's power, the power of the Holy Spirit. This goes back to our competing desires. We're not strong enough all the time to choose the best or deepest desire over our strongest one. But the way that we learn to do that is through prayer. When I was probably six or seven, I learned how to ride a bike without the training wheels. And anytime any of us in my family were ready to learn how to ride a bike, 
my dad would take us to this baseball diamond next to our house and we would learn there, I think maybe because it was softer or something. So my dad would do the classic, like he'd hold onto the handlebars, he'd hold onto the seat and he'd get us going. When we were ready, he'd let go and we'd try it on our own. And so I was starting to get the hang of it and I was feeling pretty good about myself, but I, I kept having this one obstacle. At the end of the baseball diamond, there was a fence. And every time I would run into it, my dad would yell things like turn or stop. And every time I'd hit the fence, I'd fall off my bike. There probably were some tears. We'd have to do it all over again. And so after a few times of this, my dad took me aside and said, okay, Keelan, this is how it works. Where you look is where you're gonna go. So you keep looking at the fence and you keep running into the fence. What I want you to do is I want you to look to the side and then you're gonna go to the side. You look where you wanna go. I think I had to learn this lesson again when I was learning how to drive. <laughs> but I've got it now. <laughs> this is similar to what prayer does for us when it comes to temptation. When we pray, we are intentionally focusing on God. And as we intentionally focus on God, it's easier to let go of some of those things that have a hold on us. This is kind of what we do in Lent. This is part of what we do is we take these days to intentionally focus on God in a new way, focus on what he's done for us, fix our eyes on Jesus. And as we do that, we, we take these things, maybe we give something up like sugar or TV or whatever it is, something that has like a hold on us in some way. And as we intentionally focus on God, we're easier able to let those things go. Prayer is this way that we focus on God. Does this mean that we, when we're tempted, we just pray and it's better? Well, no. That's an oversimplification. But prayer, what it does do is intentionally connect us to God. And as we faithfully and consistently do it again and again and again, we become more like Jesus. And over and over again, as we turn our eyes towards God in prayer, more and more we start to hold on to and live out those deepest desires in our life and less and less allow those strongest desires to speak. More and more we become like Jesus. And prayer is this way to fight against temptation. So this brings us to our last point. Jesus submits. The final piece of Jesus' journey towards obedience is submission. He decides to follow through on God's plan. Throughout this passage, we see Jesus subtly changing, transforming. We see him in the beginning full of sorrow. And at the end, he boldly walks into his arrest. He begins by praying, my father, if it is possible, may this be taken from me. And then the second time he prays, he says, Father, if it is not possible. This demonstrates this, this slowly Jesus aligning with God, aligning with the will of the Father. There's something about Jesus wrestling, wrestling in this place of despair, coming honestly before God in prayer that leads Jesus to obedience. The scholar Frederick Bruner says it like this. It is the great contribution of Gethsemane to teach Jesus utter and loyal humanity. Jesus did not just automatically do obedience. Like a God walking the earth, he learned obedience. Like a man praying through troubles. And through what he suffered, through trying one way but accepting another, 
As here, Jesus learned obedience, discovered the better way, was corrected, aligned, made true. Jesus learned obedience. He gives us this example of what it looks like to do the same. We too can learn obedience in and through our suffering. A couple of months ago, I was sitting in a preaching team meeting, and we were talking about what was going to come ahead. And I knew that I was preaching this date, March 20th. And so I asked, what is the passage that I'll be preaching on? And they said, the Garden of Gethsemane. And I felt my heart sink. Because I really didn't want to preach this message. Don't get me wrong, I am so thankful for the opportunity to do this. It's such a privilege, it's such a gift to me. I don't take that lightly. But anytime I preach, I have to really like wrestle with the scripture and, and, and immerse myself in it and read what other people are saying about it and, and learn from it. And, and I struggle with this passage. I struggle with it first because I don't like seeing Jesus. I don't like seeing my Jesus. So alone, so broken, so hurt. But the second and, and bigger reason why I struggle with this passage so much It's like, I don't like the idea that my faith is going to cost me something. I don't like that Jesus sets an example for what it looks like to be obedient in suffering because I don't want to suffer. I don't like the idea that faithfully following Jesus requires me to suffer. And all honestly, I want God to rescue me instantly from every negative thought and feeling and experience and situation I don't want to suffer. I don't want to submit. I want to do things my way. I want to go God's way as long as it's easy. As soon as it's hard, I don't like the idea that I have to give something up. And yet, that is the example that Jesus set. He was the suffering servant. So I find myself wrestling between this deep desire to be obedient and faithful to God at all costs and this really strong desire to stay with what's comfortable, what's easier, what's less costly. Moving here to Thunder Bay was hard, and it took me a while to work through it all. It it did require a lot of loss, but it also became the greatest adventure my family and I went on, and it became the place that I got to grow up. I got to be here. I got to learn who I was in this place, in this church, in this community, and for that, I'm so grateful. As we journey even deeper into the suffering of Jesus, as we turn from the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross at Golgotha, what looks like despair and hopelessness is the stage for the greatest victory, the greatest demonstration of love that the world had ever seen. But while we wait for Easter, while we wait for for victory in our own lives, we know that we have a savior who has been where we've been, who's walked where we've walked, who's felt what we've felt. Hebrews 2.17 says it like this. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. If you are in the darkness right now, 
if you're in that place of despair or challenge or loss, if you're walking closely with someone you love who's in that season, you're not alone. Together, we are all wrestling through what it means to be obedient to God, especially when it's costly. We have a faithful and a merciful high priest who has been where we've been, who's with us in it now. We also have a community of people who we get to keep watch for each other, with each other. We get to stand with each other. We get to hope for each other. We get to hold each other up as we learn obedience together. Do not do it alone. You're not alone. Keep going. As we close, I want to pray this prayer over you. That has been an encouragement to me in my wrestling with obedience, in my seasons of of despair and hardship. And I pray that it can be an encouragement to you as well. So let's pray. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, you have brought me to the valley of vision where I live in the depths, but I see you in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold your glory. So let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the nighttime, your stars can be seen from deepest wells, and in the deeper the wells, the brighter your stars shine. So let me find your light in my darkness, your life in my death, your joy in my sorrow, your grace in my sin, your riches in my poverty, your glory in my valley. Amen.